Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, how the government closed small boat yards around the country. I built commercial fishing boats for BIM when I had a boat yard in Clifton. And then when Garrett Fitzgerald gave our fishing industry away to Europe, the whole thing came to a stop. It literally closed all the small boat yards around the country. Adrian O'Connell will tell us how he survived and now plans to build yachts based on the famous Galway hookers at Kilrush in County Clare. And the men of war who are invading the Irish coastline. If people do come across them, please abide them because it's the trailing tails that they have, this venom that they use that will give you severe pain and can be excruciating and cause anaphylactic shock for people who have various health issues or problems, so people should just avoid them at all costs. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yole on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community around Ireland with news, opinion, comment and discussion for an island people bounded by the sea around us. The Irish fishing industry has suffered since joining the EU. Irish waters are the best and most lucrative fishing grounds in Europe, but it's not Ireland which has the biggest or best quotas in those waters. That is the preserve of other European nations. This has been Ireland's massive transfer of economic resources to the EU. When that was done by the then Irish government, it was not only Irish fishermen who suffered, as I was told in Kilrush Boatyard on the banks of the Shannon in County Clare by Adrian O'Connell, who was then building fishing boats in Clifton County Galway. He had to adapt to survive, and now is planning another development, building yachts based on the famous Galway hookers. On the wall of his office at Astra Yachting, there's a lovely photograph of a boat under full sail. It's basically a half boat or lawage, which I built for the Little Killery Adventure Centre for Jamie Young. I designed it and built it, and uh, it was very successful. He had it for a good number of years, sailed it with kids all over the place in all sorts of weather, and uh, she slept six, had um, a self-draining cockpit, so she was fully decked with a cabin top and uh, she was a very good sea boat. And uh, unfortunately, she's now lying down in Hegarty's yard in, in Cork, awaiting repairs. Uh, she's owned by a man from Yall who wants to sell her. You built your fishing boats? I built commercial fishing boats for BIM when I had a boat yard in Clifton. Uh, and did you turn out many of them? Oh, we did. We, we turned out, we had designs from t- uh, 28 foot 32 and 36 footers and I developed a 42 footer and then when Garrett Fitzgerald gave our fishing industry away to the to Europe where the whole thing came to a stop so I tried to survive on repairing boats and traditional boats as well and did a bit of work on Galway hookers etc and then when the when Kilrush opened up I got the opportunity to come down here unfortunately it was never finished and developed properly but so we're now 
since it's got new ownership of the marina, it's now my chance to get the whole project up and running again. So you're actually a naval architect designing boats yourself? That's correct. I've been, I, I'm actually a marine engineer by profession. I'm not really a naval architect, but I've, I'm, I designed my own boats and they certainly worked. What we're looking at now is an Astor 22. It's a new design based on the Galway Hooker? That's correct. Based on the Galway Hooker concept and design. And this boat would be built in GRP, but with uh, timber um, timber uh, beltings and washboards and uh, a timber, timber finish on top so it looks traditional. And, of course, timber masts and spars and uh, would have accommodation for four with a cooker and loo and so on and would be uh, have a self-training cockpit so she's dead safe to sail all the uh, reefing modern reefing systems so she could be sailed by a husband and wife quite easily and be a trailer sailor that you can tow around behind a, your jeep and just launch it off a slipway. Is there a revival of interest in wooden boats? There is. The biggest problem with wooden boats uh, is that the, the maintenance of, of, of wooden boats uh, nowadays, of course, with epoxy systems, you can uh, sheet the boat both inside and out, so you don't have the prob- problems that you would have had in the old days. Um, but it takes an awful lot of time. If we produce them in GR, the hulls in GRP and the basic deck moulding in GRP, we're able to cut down a lot on time and make the boats cost-effective to sell. And do you see an interest in boat ownership like that? I do. I mean, there's a, there's one of the busiest operators in the UK is Cornish Crabbers, and uh, there was a time at London boat shows when they would have the, they'd be the top selling boats, not big Benetos. Cornish Crabbers used to sell an awful lot of boats. They still do, and uh, I would see a market for these boats in Germany, Holland, uh, Scandinavia, and also on the east coast of America. Uh, Anything coming from Ireland has a big attraction, you know, amongst people, especially in the, on the American East Coast. It's quite a change from fishing boats to leisure boats. Oh, it is, it is. But uh, I've been a sailor all my life. I was brought up sailing in, in, in a small glowchug when I was uh, a, a small guy. In fact, I always tell the story that the old man who taught me how to sail, Patty Andrew Keneally, uh, I, I was a cheeky young 14-year-old and I said to him, now, Pat, what do I learn next? And he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, oh, walk, for every day you're on the water, you'll be learning. And he never said a true word. I'm still learning. I'm 78 now and I'm still learning about it. Just talking back there with Brexit and all that now, and you remember the time the fishing industry changed to the EU? That's a long way back. Yeah, that's back in 1985, 86. And uh, it literally closed all the small boatyards around the country. The only ones that kept going really were, were was Moonies up in Killybegs. And, uh, but every, everywhere you went, I mean, if you came down from the north, you'd, the boatyard in Maeve, you'd Moonies, you'd Sean Craig in Inver, you'd uh, O'Malley's in, in, in Ackle Sound, uh, you'd myself in Clifton, you'd, uh, there were few boat builders around um, in South Connemara, there were hickey boats in Galway. You go right down along the the Clare coast into uh, West Cork, and you had 
a lot of small boat builders there all the way around the country. It wasn't only the fishermen who suffered? No, it was an awful lot of guys just disappeared oh. and left. They're back, they were back, went over to England putting up how, roofs on houses and things like that and that was the end of it. So coming to back to Kilrush now and what your plan is, when do you, what, when do you hope to start building? Well, we hope to get, we're taking over the shed uh, in the next month and we intend to start laying up the, get the lofting done and making a plug to make a mould and a deck plug as well. And uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get the first prototype built and then we'll st- see what the market's like. Adrian O'Connell, Managing Director of Astro Yachts in Kilrush and his journey from building fishing boats to yachts and hopefully the market will be good for his project. Offshore islands are a valuable resource for this nation, an island itself in terms of economics, culture, heritage, history and language. That's a statement about which there can hardly be much disagreement as we are an island nation. But successive governments have failed to form or implement a strategic plan or policies for the offshore islands. Catherine Connolly, the independent TD for Galway West, made that case in a motion she put before the Doyle, calling on the government to ensure the sustainability and vitality of the islands through creation of an island's policy and inclusion of island representatives on the recently formed Interdepartmental Islands Committee. And Deputy Connolly is chair of the Doyle Committee on the Islands, the Gwaeltuk and the Irish language. But the government opposed her motion. Rhoda Twombly, reporting from Inishinaar Island in Clue Bay, takes up the story. The failure of successive governments to form and implement a strategic plan or policies for the offshore islands is at the core of the motion on offshore islands by Catherine Connolly, independent DD from Galway West. Deputy Connolly's motion, debated in the Dáil on the 17th of September, highlights that offshore islands are a valuable resource to the nation in terms of language, culture, heritage and economics. It notes serious population decline, a reduction of the daily use of the Irish language, the lack of any policies for islands and failure recommendations made in four highly respected reports, including the last published government report on island development published way back in 1996. The motion calls on the government to ensure the sustainability and vitality of the islands through an action plan for development, creation of an islands policy, and inclusion of island representation on the newly formed Interdepartmental Islands Committee. Government submitted an amendment to the motion on offshore islands that replaced all of the document's proposals with a review of island work since the 1990s, a listing of the departments included in the Interdepartmental Islands Committee, and the provision for subsequent development of an islands policy and an action plan to be presented to Cabinet. The amendment was defeated by a vote of 38 to 79, indicating strong cross-party support of Deputy Connolly's motion. The first meeting of the Interdepartmental Committee was held on the 24th of September and included representatives from 12 key government departments. 
When queried on the lack of island representation, Minister Kine expressed the belief that this inclusion would be counterproductive as officials may not feel they could speak freely if island representatives were present. He is, however, eager to meet with islanders before, during and after any of the interdepartmental meetings and feels this will allow a comprehensive consultation process. In addressing education on islands during the debate, Minister Joe McHugh highlighted the example of Aaron Moore, where 50 pupils travel into the island on a daily basis for secondary school. It is hoped that other innovative programs, such as the partnership between Shirkin Island and the Technological University of Dublin and the local community, can be introduced to more islands. There are historic and ongoing difficulties for island schools. Funding has been decreased in the past five years. Teachers no longer receive the Gaeltacht allowance of €3,063 or the island allowance of €1,842 for all island-based teachers. This is a huge disincentive when trying to attract teachers to island schools. Additionally, the Irish and bilingual grant of €103 per pupil for post-primary schools teaching through Irish is not paid to the island schools. While it is recognised that there has been significant investment in island infrastructure and access, with monies granted for annual small works programmes as well as ferry and cargo subsidies, in 2018, more than €1,073,000 was spent on island infrastructure. Minister Kine notes that nearly €100 million Euro has been invested in capital industry on the islands over the past 20 years, and there are several projects listed in the national plan. But Deputy Connolly concluded, I accept the work has been done on all the islands. My point is that it has been done in an ad hoc, reactive fashion and not within a policy that shows that not alone do we cherish our islands, but we recognize that islands are showing us the way to live sustainably. If we had any sense or courage, we would listen to and follow them. Rhoda Twombly reporting Secretary of Kogol Ilona Heron from her island base on Inishlar in Clue Bay. And I have to say that I wonder about the attitude of civil servants whose responsibility is to the public and who aren't prepared to say at a committee what they plan to do about the islands if the islanders who live in those offshore islands might be there to hear them. Anyway, let's move on. Now a roundup of other maritime news from At Home and Abroad with Justin Marr. Fossilised bones of a 325-million-year-old amphibian-like creature have been discovered in County Clare. The 10-millimetre-long bones come from a small amphibian that would have been an ancestor to the first lizards and lived during the Carboniferous period, which lasted from 360 to 299 million years ago. It would probably fit in the palm of your hand and is believed to have lived along a swampy coastline. The bones were discovered by Dr. Eamon Doyle, geologist for the Burren and Cliffs of Moher UNESCO Global Geopark and Clare County Council. First of all, they're vertebrates, so they are creatures that had backbones, and this is going back to, you know, slightly after the time when fishes were evolving to walk on land. So we're most familiar with creatures that walk on land now because we're one of them. There was a process happening around that time 
where the bones and the fin structures were changing to enable the fish to become essentially tetrapods walking on land. And it was a slow process, and there was many different blind alleys, so things changed, some didn't work out, some didn't survive. And at one point, the earlier tetrapods, where they were kind of transitioning between fish and tetrapods, had six, seven, or eight toes. So that was a real possibility that, you know, maybe if things had gone slightly differently, we'd be looking at our hands now with maybe six digits or seven digits. So when we look at these, uh, it adds a little bit more information to how, how evolution happens, basically. One of the big things is that we, we still don't know everything. So there's new things to be found in the rocks, and we will learn from those new things that we find. And in order to find things like that, we need to have geologists out doing fieldwork. So the Geological Survey of Ireland and Clare County Council fund my position here. So that gives me the time and the space to be able to go out and actually look and find stuff. And that feeds into research, it feeds into our understanding of the landscape and our appreciation of the landscape as well. So when people in the area know that there's new and exciting stuff there, they will understand and appreciate the landscape in a, in a whole new way. We're still learning. There's still new things there. It's worth looking, and we're learning from that. And what we learn gives us more information about how climate changes and how Earth has evolved and will continue to evolve. An enormous floating device designed by Dutch scientists for the non-profit Ocean Cleanup successfully captured and removed plastic from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, the company has announced. Ocean Cleanup has been creating a device to attack the plastic waste crisis for seven years, with a device that captures plastic in its fold like a giant arm, able to capture and hold debris ranging from large cartons, crates and abandoned fishing gear, or ghost nets, which are a scourge to marine life, to microplastics that are as small as one millimetre, according to an Ocean Cleanup press release. Finally, the warm waters off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa, were once a home for the great white sharks. Previously, great whites have been spotted swimming around and chowing down on seals at Seal Island. Now, all of a sudden, they've vanished completely out of sight. Over the past 18 months, the city of Cape Town and the local shark spotter program have officially reported the complete disappearance of great white sharks from the 28-kilometer-wide basin, False Bay. Justin Marr reporting, and that interesting discovery in Clare is one of several unusual finds made over the past few years in the Burren area, which we've reported here on the programme. And now to the rivers, lakes and estuaries of our island nation, and the latest angling news. Hello to all the anglers listening in. Miles Kelly from Inland Fisheries Ireland here again to give a quick roundup of the news from the world of fishing. Autumn is known as the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness but a series of Atlantic fronts and even an ex-hurricane have dominated our weather over the last month. There was some serious rainfall and many rivers and lakes were flooded much of the time. At sea, big ocean swells and strong winds made boat fishing all but impossible for the most part and overall it's been a tough year for charter boat skippers. Cancellations were all too common in charter boat angling this year and the heavy weather of the last couple of weeks has seen even more. It's been a real shame as there were some great days reported when conditions were suitable. The biggest fish make the biggest news, so it's no surprise that the media made a big deal of the bluefin tuna caught by the boats participating in the tuna chart programme. In fairness, there were some real giants caught, with tuna up to £1,000 tagged and released. The salmon and sea trout season is over now, and anglers have had to hang up their waders as the last of the open fisheries closed on October 12th. It was not the best season we've ever witnessed here in Ireland. 
It looks like the topsy-turvy weather patterns continue to confound the salmon angler, who was either met by too much rain or not enough for much of the season. And then there were the times when the levels seemed just right, but the fish were not to be seen. It was encouraging to see some good fishing reported from smaller rivers, though. Fisheries like the Erif and the Bandon, to name a couple, had some great days. Anglers on the Slaney enjoyed much better sea trout catches this year, and Loch Coran saw some epic sea trout fishing late in the season, hopefully a sign of further improvements to come. The season may be closed, but salmon and sea trout anglers have one task left this year. Don't forget to return your logbook to Inland Fisheries Ireland as soon as possible, and no later than 19th of October. You can do this using the business reply envelope you received on purchasing your licence or call into any of our offices. The Dublin Angling Initiative has been mentioned more than once in this part of the show over the years. Through this programme we introduce young people from all around Dublin to fishing, providing angling equipment and coaching as well as helping connect kids to their local rivers and ponds and the wider environment. This summer almost 250 youths took part in a number of angling events hosted by the DAI. We're still taking applications from groups who may wish to join the programme through October-November. Places are limited, so book early. You can find out more at fisheriesireland.ie. Ireland's biggest fly fishing extravaganza returns in November. A host of the greatest fly dressers, fly casters and angling celebrities from all over the globe will once again gather at the Galway Bay Hotel in Salt Hill to participate in the Irish Fly Fair and International Angling Show on the 9th and 10th of October. Visitors will have an opportunity to see some of the finest fly dressers from around the world practice their art, while champion casters will be available to demonstrate and advise on fly casting techniques and fishing tactics. Google Irish Fly Fair to find out more. Well, that's all from me this week. Safe fishing to all and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly of Inland Fisheries Ireland reporting. A man of war was originally a sailing vessel full of armed men. That description referred to heavily armed manoeuvrable frigates developed during the 16th century. Fully rigged Portuguese ones had a characteristic shape and there are invaders on beaches around Ireland which represent that shape. These are the inflated purple-blue bladders of the marine creatures known as Portuguese man-of-war jellyfish. Hundreds of them, even thousands in some areas it's reported, arriving on the south and west coasts, all as a result of Storm Lorenzo although they are not the usual common type of jellyfish. Justin Marr discussed this invasion with marine scientist, biologist Kevin Flannery of Dingle Ocean World Aquarium. After the infamous storm that arrived, the prevailing winds have been southerly, lovely and warm, uh, but they're also bringing with it these uh, Portuguese minowar, because Portuguese minowar, what people may not know about them, is that they're virtually like a balloon in top of the water, a deflated balloon, and uh, they get carried with the wind, and they come mostly from southern waters. So with southerly winds, they're uh, inevitably going to turn up here. But they have become more prevalent in the last four or five years. We've had numbers, greater numbers than previously recorded. And why has that been happening over the past few years, Kevin? Obviously, from what they have seen and what they're saying, the meteorologists and the oceanography people and the whole lot, they're saying global warming and the warming of the sea currents, which obviously pushed up this famous storm Lorenzo, is because the seas were warmer further north. Previously, these storms would run right into the Gulf of Mexico and off of the Carolinas and the warm waters there because it's obviously the warm water energy that creates these. But if the waters are warmer further north, and they could run up off of the Azores and keep coming this way north because there has to be a degree of warming waters. I would say out of the 100% of 
Uh, we're the wonderful species that I've collected with the last 40 years or more. 90% of them would have come from what we call Lusitanian species, which would be from Spain, Portugal, that sort of area, and we're still picking them up. We had this year species like the African crab, we've had Japanese shrimp, we're having your usual triggerfish, common species that are now common on the palate in uh, the south of Ireland are the red mullet, which one time you could only get in the Mediterranean. So there obviously is a trend that you have global warming and you have the warmer species, the Lusitanian species, moving up with it. You mentioned global warming there. There was news of a draft UN report last month which stated that the effects of climate change has benefited jellyfish and similar species by eliminating some of their natural predators. Yeah, well, that would be, you see, what we've got is, uh, we've got a situation and we've got a number of sea turtles. We have two of them, actually, a dingle and these loggerhead turtles, and we have another one above an Explorers Aquarium in Portofei. And these species are indigenous to the tropical warm waters because they've been marine reptiles. But we also have the very large leatherback turtle. And these are species that survive on jellyfish and they live, they eat vast amounts of jellyfish per day. But when you mix up plastic with the jellyfish, and these poor creatures can't distinguish either, we're killing quite a lot of these turtles. And as well as that, we're killing off their breeding colonies where they come ashore to lay their eggs because we're building more and uh, you're taking away their habitat and you're destroying them at sea. They ingest plastic. Anything up to 40, 50 pieces of plastic can be found in the gut because they can't distinguish between the jellyfish. So therefore, you're taking out a predator that eats the jellyfish and the jellyfish will get a lot more common. The same situation happened when we took out the apex predators like sharks, and we took out the dogfish. There was an increase in other species, and these affect the whole chain because one simple thing can affect the whole circle of life, and that's what is happening, and that's very sad to see, but it's an inevitability of either overfishing or degrading of the environment, as what's happening with the dumping of plastic at sea. What would be your advice to someone who comes across a Portuguese man-of-war on the beach, Kevin? Without a doubt to avoid at all costs. They, they look quite attractive, but if people do come across them, please avoid them because it's the trailing tails that they have that basically they have to survive in the sea. This is their method of surviving where they trail these tentacles behind them and they have this venom that they use that will give you severe pain and can be excruciating and cause anaphylactic shock for people who have various health issues or problems so people should just avoid them at all costs. Kevin Flannery, marine biologist and director of Dingle Ocean World Aquarium, where Dingle Maritime Weekend will be held on November the 2nd and 3rd with free entry to all talks. And isn't it interesting there to hear him talk about the importance of predators in the marine environment, turtled amongst them where the jellyfish are concerned, and of course the dreaded effect of plastic. And so we end this edition of This Island Nation produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland, Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City, Liffey Sound and Dublin South on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Clare on Radio Kirk of Boschkeen, Kilkenny on Kilkenny City Radio, Limerick on West Limerick 102FM Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar, Cork City Community Radio West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island. With podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the MarineTimes.ie and an edition on the National Council for the Blinds audio magazine. 
Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime community on Community Radio. And you can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com or by phone or text to 0872 555197. And again, that's 0872 555197. And the email, thisislandnation at gmail.com. Until our next programme, from me, Tom Axweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. Thank you.